Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hi, everyone. I'm Laurie Chesney from Natixis Green and Sustainable Hub. I'm happy today to uh, moderate a new panel in the ICMA series to address sustainable finance market integrity. So I'm pleased to host Nicole Della Vedova. She is heading the corporate finance team from NL. Felipe Gordillo, a research analyst for Mirova. Ulf Elonson, CEO and founder of Anthropocene. And Nate Aiden, finance lead at Science Based Target Initiative. So today we will focus on SLB and transition and discuss with our panelists around the main sources of greenwashing risk. They will come back on their concerns, their experience and the key levers to preserve market integrity. So first of all, materiality. The first principle in the sustainability link bond principle is related to the selection of KPIs, which are expected to be core, relevant and material for the issuer. So let's start with you, Ulf. In your different researches and market intelligence, did you observe some breach with this materiality objective or any discrepancy between the issuer's public commitment and disclosure and the SLB structure per se? Thank you. Um, I think it's no secret that we've seen um, a, a fair number of SLBs with uh, targets that seem to be fairly immaterial. Uh, but you know there's also a lot of structures with 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 good targets. Uh, one issue I think is when you actually mix the two. So sometimes you slap on a number of targets that are not material together with one target. That is, um, which brings sort of the the, the real uh, use of the of the structure um, out of focus. Uh, I do think there's also um, from the investor perspective, and we speak to a lot of investors a sense that sometimes the SLB structure should be more tied to longer term targets like you know, net zero alignments, et cetera, uh, and looking at everything that the company does rather than you know, cherry pick a couple of, of, of indicators. Uh, here, some of the analysis we've done, for example, is looking on companies that have been um, announcing their net zero targets, including scope three emissions, and then they have SLB structure, structures with only scope one and scope two targets. And, and we're talking about, you know, uh, five to 10 years out. And, and, and at that time frame, the SLB investors, uh, I think, deserve to have, you know, proper scope three targets that are in line with what the company uh, is really uh, purporting to do with, uh, with, with the instrument. Interesting to see, Nicole, you as an issuer, how did you identify and select your KPIs to match this materiality objective? What does it mean for you as well in terms of transparency effort, disclosure uh, as an SLB issuer? First and foremost, uh, we do believe that everything starts from uh, the sustainable strategy of the company. We think that uh, it's not at the end the sustainability linked finance uh, transaction or even a green bond that makes a company sustainable and ambitious. It is instead the sustainable strategy that makes a company ambitious or not, credible or not. When we speak about strategy and capital allocation, the starting point is not finance, but the business and strategic view one corporate has to create value. In that case, finance comes uh, as a supporting tool and the value creation level on top. 
Taking our example, we basically mirrored our sustainability targets from our ambitious strategic plan that every year rise the bar in terms of goals and targets or objectives. Therefore, we selected the KPIs and targets that provide coherence with our strategy as renewable and decarbonization represent core, the core of our strategy. Materiality as the decarbonization of the energy mix represent one of the main environmental priority for us and for our stakeholders. Measurability and verification as both KPIs that we have inserted in our sustainability link financing framework are externally and independently verified and measurable on a consistent methodological basis. Clarity and uh, exhaustiveness uh, as the perimeter of reporting for both KPIs, uh, such as renewable install capacity and GHG reduction in our case, cover the whole business. In general, I think that we can say that companies uh, are more and more deploying uh, SDGs target that uh, reflect their sustainable finance and strategy showing materiality, ambition and granularity, but always starting from strategy and, and business. It is also important to mention uh, the huge work launched by the ICMA in the context of the elaboration and analysis of new KPIs and targets with the final objective to create a guidelines of public domain that companies can utilize in their sustainability linked finance transaction. Thanks, Nico. <clears throat> Nate, uh, at the SPTI, the question of materiality of the submitted CO2 emission caveat is central in your approval methodology. Can you please elaborate on the threshold that you have for scop 3 emission and the rationale behind that? Sure. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, so within the Science-Based Targets Initiative, we anchor our approach in the greenhouse gas protocol, which separates companies' emissions into three scopes. Uh, scope one is from purchase from uh, combustion of fossil fuels or process emissions. Scope two is purchased electricity, heat, steam. And scope three is the upstream and downstream emissions associated with the company or financial institution's uh, business. And we require the, um, the formulation of a full greenhouse gas emissions inventory for the baseline of the science-based target and then where scope three is greater than 40% of aggregate scope one, two, and three emissions, there has to be a separate ambitious and measurable scope three target. And the logic here is threefold. The first is that um, it uh, addresses the largest sources of the company's emissions and maintains credibility uh, both for the financial institution, uh, the target setting entity, let's say, and the SPT initiative. Second, it um, cascades emission reduction mitigation activities through value chains where you have more consumer facing brands or retailers, for example, engaging with their suppliers to have them set the, reduce their emissions. And third, it creates opportunities for new metrics and new uh, ways of, of leading. Um, for example, we had a printer manufacturer have a target in terms of gram CO2 equivalent per page of, of printed material which obviously most consumers aren't very aware of, but uh, the companies in that space are very aware of. So um, this, this approach has been um, very effective at catalyzing broader mitigation action. However, in terms of materiality, 
there is the question of um, what activities are needed to achieve these targets. And historically, the SBT initiative has only been focused on emission reductions from a historical baseline uh, as, as our sole metric. But there is thinking that there, there's a need for additional investment in climate solutions and um, in green investment transition finance. And so that's really one of the challenges in this space is how we define uh, those investments in a robust way that is consistent across sectors and geographies. Thank you, Nate. Um, so we see that materiality of the KPI is really the starting point, just to be sure that the final picture will be relevant enough. And a second frequent topic that we see when it comes to SLB and transition is a matter of ambition, which appears to be one of the basics here. But how to calibrate ambitious and credible enough targets? What is a good level of ambition to respect transition finance objectives? This is really where we would like to see the point of view of our panelists. So again, starting from you as SBTI Nate, um, we know that you are positioned as a solution provider here to really assess what is a good level of ambition. So what is your approach, your method and tool to address this question of, of ambition? Thank you. Lori. So um, the SBT initiative was first launched in 2015. And when we did launch, we calibrated our initial minimum ambition level as two degrees following on the discussion at the Paris Agreement that year. Um, in 2018, the IPCC published a new special report on 1.5 degrees that included an ensemble of new climate scenarios and in response to that report, we increased the minimum ambition for company science-based targets to well below two degrees uh, with an ambition towards 1.5 degrees. And then last year, we further ratcheted up the ambition requirement to 1.5 degree aligned scope one and two targets. We used the ensemble of scenarios published by the IPCC in 2018 to develop a regression-based uh, model for understanding the climate or temperature alignment of different mitigation targets. And we use that to classify companies scope one and two targets. So now we have 1800 uh, company and financial institution science-based targets, including Enel here on this panel um, that have been approved by SPTI. And those all have a temperature classification that corresponds with basically the steepness of their emission reduction curves. Again, our sole metric here is emission reductions from a historical baseline. We don't include any offsets or any avoided emissions. And that's very intentional to keep the accounting very clear and robust. It's not to say that there isn't a role for additional investments in beyond value chain mitigation, but that simply we don't want to mix apples and oranges here. And so we focus on the core. It's very clear from all of the climate models that we need to reduce uh, emissions from their current level. And so that's what the SPT initiative is focused on first and foremost. Going beyond that, last year we introduced a net zero standard for companies to set targets that are assessed by the Science-Based Targets Initiative. And this has, again, first and foremost, the near-term emission reductions uh, as its first, first requirement, first criteria. Beyond that, companies can set uh, net zero targets that, um, that look at their net zero end state and that includes some level of neutralization once they've reduced their emissions by at least 90 percent 
um, in the net zero year, depending on the sector that they are part of. And so those ambition levels are, are stipulated there. For financial institutions, it's an ongoing development process with the net zero standard. And there's a lot of debate around boundaries and again, this sort of green alignment aspect beyond just the emission reductions. And so that's something I'm happy to discuss further, but interested to hear from the other panelists as well. Thank you, Nate. Uh, pretty interesting to see Felipe as an investor and probably beyond climate as well. What form of greenwashing do you see here when it comes to ambition? What are your expectations on your side? How do you assess level of ambition when you see an SLB on the market? Thank you, Laurie. Um, I guess uh, the, the point I want to make, uh, it's about uh, the, the, the rationale of uh, SLBs and the rationale both for uh, the issuer and the, the investors. And I want to make this point because that will help us to, to, to respond to the question around ambitions and, of course, to have a bit of discussion around the risk of reputation or greenwashing. I think one of the challenges we had here at Mirova when, they, when we saw initially the, the concept of SLB, is that the SLBs, the coupon step-up SLBs, they challenge the narrative on sustainability that we had been you know, using for several years. Basically, a coupon step-up uh, step uh, SLB, basically you have an idea in which failure on sustainability creates financial value. And that's something that uh, yeah, challenges the narrative that we had been using for years. Uh, and now, very recently, we have another rationale about SLBs, which is basically trying to link the coupon step-ups to the increase of credit risk due to the failure to deliver uh, on sustainability. But the challenge we have with this uh, idea is that that requires, there is a big assumption there. And the big assumption is basically says that you need that all KPIs or all SPTs to be financial or credit material at all times for all companies. So if you take the example of not achieving uh, um, a carbon mitigation uh, target in the absence of uh, carbon pricing, it's very difficult to make uh, the case of those KPIs or those SLBs being uh, you know, material from a solvency perspective. And we have recently some research from Fitch that basically say that they don't find a correlation between, uh, you know, uh, credit quality and the coupon step-ups. But having said that, Admirova really value this uh, tool because uh, the SLBs have created the opportunity to do something that we didn't have the opportunity to do in the fixed income market. This is an excellent tool for transparency and engagement. It's one of the one of the most interesting tools to basically for fixed income investors to go and see the companies, the issuers, to challenge them about their uh, engagements on sustainability, to have a conversation on uh, those KPIs and those SBDs. Of course, having in mind that we want to fight uh, climate change, but we also want to avoid any reputational risk related to uh, uh, greenwashing. So now. I think that the challenge we have in this uh, very interesting market, very dynamic market, is how do we move from a transparency engagement tool into a tool that is able to deliver impact? Because this is, you know, we all agree that we really need to uh, act uh, very quickly and in a bold manner to fight climate change. So how do we transform this tool 
from an engagement tool into an impact tool. Of course, I think there are very interesting ideas uh, in the market. One is, for example, as Ulf will discuss later, I suppose, the question around on how to create the right pricing and the right incentives uh, through the pricing model of those SLBs. So we have very important incentives for those companies to deliver change, or maybe to use some of those specific KPIs in more and SPTs in a more kind of a more concrete way. Not only about carbon trajectories, but also to focus on you know targets around assets. Why not, for example, imagine for a power utility company to say, okay, the target is uh, what is the, you know, how many assets are going to, uh, you know, coal assets or fossil fuel assets are you able to decommission within a time frame? You know, this type of KPIs or this type of right economic and financial incentives will help to create an impact tool. And this is what we like to see in the market going forward. Over to you. Really interesting. Thank you, Felipe. So you make a clear link between ambition and the structure per se. So I think it's another potential source of greenwashing that we can see here. I mean, the link with the structure of the SLB per se, the impact on in terms of pricing and the materiality of that financial trigger. This is where the sustainability link bond principle are recommended to have something material and proportionate when it comes to the impact on the bond characteristics. Interesting, Ulf, I know that at, at, at uh, Anthropocene, you recently analyzed the link between the ambition of the target and the SLB pricing structure. So can you please share your main conclusion? Yeah. Yes, um, we've been doing a lot of work you know, over the past year on, on the sort of how to price um, the, the, the SLB structures. Um, so the way we approach this is to look at an SLB as, as a straight bond with an option. If we look at a step up, uh, it's an option essentially that the issuer sells to the investor for a coupon step up in the future. Uh, so once you start looking at it from this way, then you can see that you know there's a direct linkage between you know, the discounted value of that step up, the probability that you actually get the step up, and what you can pay for the SLB at the inception of the trade. So it's not too different actually from uh, convertible bond structures in one ways. Um, now, what comes out of this, and I have to credit my uh, fantastic colleague Stephanie Mielnik, who's been you know, uh, heading up this work. What comes out of this type of modeling is to say that, okay, if that option that the issuer is selling to the investor is very valuable, well, then the investor can pay a lot for it. Now, how, how does that uh, payment happen? Well, think about an issuer who's who would be issuing an equivalent vanilla bond at 5%. Now, if they offer a large degree of optionality through an e, uh, SLB structure to the investor, then the investor might be able to buy that SLB at 4.5% yield instead. And that means, you know, the issuer is sort of accessing a lower cost of capital um, than they would have been doing that otherwise. But how can they sort of reach that lower cost of capital? Well, they have to number one, offer a you know, decent pickup in terms of you know, the coupon size and so on. But they also have to uh, offer a decent probability that uh, they will not reach the targets. And this is where ambition comes in. Because if you don't have any ambition, if you're 100% sure that you're going to reach the target, then that optionality is, uh, has zero value for the investor. They cannot, you know, uh, through fiduciary principles, price that out and say, I can buy, you know, this SLB at a tighter spread than the equivalent vanilla bond. 
So it's a little bit that we wrote the note once upon a time called um, participation trophy, um, where if you offer an SLB structure where you're you know, darn sure that you're going to achieve all the SPTs, well, I as an investor just say the option is worth zero, so I cannot overpay anything for this. And once you start looking at it that way, well, then you can see that the ambition level that will be reflected in pricing. And it's not a matter, and I almost push back on this on in terms of greenwashing. Uh, it's just that the investors are going to say, well, we're not going to pay up for this structure if it's not ambitious enough. And then uh, we can be less dogmatic about whether that's good or bad. It's just a pricing decision between your know, investors and, and, and the issuers in some ways. Nate, you are raising your hand, so please go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And I think that's a really important, interesting point from Ulf. And um, it's one that's certainly come up in the science-based targets initiative um, over the years. And we in SPTI um, have a range of participants where some come to the initiative and they already know exactly how they're going to achieve their target. They've already discussed all of their investments and done scenarios and engineering studies and others that come to us and say, this is something we need to do, and we don't really know how we're going to do it, but it's sort of, it will serve as a North Star for our investment decisions and strategy going forward. We are agnostic with those two. We, we agree with, with Ulf's earlier contention that this spread of probabilities for achieving the targets is, I think, frankly, it's reality. But just one thing I'll note here is that the current politicization of ESG in the United States and Europe is causing this to become more contentious, where I've had a number of financial institutions just this week mention to me that they see increasing legal risk around this, and that if they set targets that they don't achieve, they are concerned about liability there. So I think that we need to think about this in the bigger picture as well. There's sort of the financial angle to this, which I agree is very important, but we also don't want to make it an impediment to companies' action if they're starting to be exposed to political or legal liability around these commitments and actions. So I think, um, you know, I, I want to find some happy medium here, and I don't want it to become a reason that companies and financial institutions are not setting targets and doing these actions because they're worried about being sued by some partisan groups. Yeah, really interesting. Just coming back to the question of the link between the, the pricing structure, I will say, and the ambition per se. Interesting, I think, to take the benefits of NL as one of the first or really the pioneer on the SLB market back in 2019. So, Nicole, how did you calibrate this 25 basis points of coupon step up? That is currently, I would say, the market standard. So happy to see where do you come from and how do you try to achieve this material and proportionate objective when it comes to the impact in terms of pricing on your coupon. Back to what we were saying and also what Half was 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 saying, uh, we the reason behind uh, the step up was exactly that. So the idea was uh, to set uh, a coupon step up. So a meaningful, uh, of course, uh, step up, uh, but uh, that that need to be linked uh, to the willingness uh, of investor to recognize uh, the value of sustainability. Because of course, uh, we can also say we put 100 basis point of step up, uh, but on the other 
uh, on the other side, uh, we should uh, probably ask uh, a discount, an upfront discount to investors to recognize uh, the value of sustainability because uh, we are setting just uh, a step up and not uh, a step down because of uh, constraints also uh, that uh, came from uh, investors, uh, portfolio, portfolio managers. So, uh, as I was saying, uh, of course, uh, the materiality and ambitions of, of KPIs uh, uh, are very much linked to the business and to the strategy of a company. We believe it is crucial to set material implication associated to the failure to achieve the sustainability targets. According to us, this kind of transaction should, should reflect the financial value of sustainable choices, but it was exactly what we were saying also together with Half and Nate, but I think that also Felipe uh, agree on that. So we need the materiality of KPIs and the recognition of financial value of sustainable choices. When it comes to the size of coupon step up, for us, uh, 25 BIPs uh, is large enough uh, to be meaningful in investment grade spread context, but still not uh, overly punitive, I would say. In the yield world, uh, we have seen SLB's uh, issuance uh, with uh, 50 BIPs uh, step up. Of course, uh, it's, it's a different world uh, and we need to take into account uh, the fact that we're speaking about different worlds when it comes to investment grade and yield companies. Progressively, our outstanding debt will be sustainability linked because we do have uh, and we clearly stated that, that our intention is to go towards sustainable finance, increasing the percentage of sustainability linked instrument within our, our portfolio. That means that potentially uh, there, there, there will be a meaningful exposure to interest rate risk somehow. And the purpose of the product is to stimulate discussion on how to integrate ESG risk into pricing. So the present of step up is valued in the context of the achievement of the upfront premium, as I was saying before. So I think that we are we need to speak also about financial value, the recognition of the financial value, and this has to be there for both issuers and investors, of course. Thanks, Nico. So, Felipe, good to have your views as the representative of the investor community. So, any reaction or expectation on your side regarding in terms of financial trigger or even the structure well, maybe, per se? Yeah, maybe just uh, really like the discussion and thank you very much to all of you for what you just said. They're very interesting. Maybe two quick comments. Um, I think that in, in the question around uh, ambition and uh, the selection of uh, KPIs is very important to ensure the integrity of the market. I want to share with you because uh, you know when you saw when you see those cases, you have to share that with some people so you don't keep that for yourself. Uh, recently, we just saw an SLB in which the target was to set a target. Sorry, an SBTI target. So I know that it's very complete your process and uh, and that's great, but it seems that it's not that challenging, you know, to to set a target in which the target is to set a target. But just uh, once you say that, um, I think that uh, you know the market and NL has succeeded to have this to to, to have these 20, 25, 25 basis points as kind of a I would say a standard for SLBs because we have seen uh, many transactions using that as a reference. Of course, I 
now we can challenge that view in the context of interest interest rate uh, raises. So what would be the mean of 25 basis points in this context right now? But anyway, uh, for the for the 25 basis points, sometimes um, I, I recall the case of a very interesting SLB in which uh, you know was a two billion dollar transaction. So 25 basis points means uh, five million five million dollars penalty. And for an issuer in which they have a you know annual budget of more than 80 80 billion dollars annually, you know five million seems like a, you know uh, very small to you know to push uh, the issuer to you know to deliver against those targets. So I think that the, the question really needs to to be uh, taken uh, more uh, um, seriously by issuers, and maybe we need more of uh, financial engineering to really determine what the right pricing is and not you know because sometimes we we ask the question to the to the issuer why did you have chosen 25 bips and they said oh this is market practice so i think if we want to create impact with this product we need to move ahead of this uh, first type of response thank you felipe i see Ulf, that you are raising your that question Yes, uh, I'd like to briefly comment on um, uh, something that Nate said uh, together with what Nicole is saying here. And um, I think this there is an unfortunate tendency in the SLB world to use the terminology uh, greenium, which has been sort of uh, pasted from the green bond space. So in the green bond space, obviously a greenium is the difference between you know, where the green bond trades and uh, where a traditional bond would would uh, would be trading, uh, which could be sort of ascribed to some sort of non-pecuniary, non-financial value, some sort of feel-good factor. Now, when you look at the SLB structure, it's very important to disaggregate what I call the option premium component of it, and if there is a greenium at all, but they are not the same as in uh, as in the green bond case, and that's also really important when it comes to you know, fighting back on some of these sort of legislative uh, measures. Because if you can identify that there is a financial value in the SLB contract that you know you can motivate out of pricing models and so on, then you are in a different game than if you're trying to do some sort of subsidy uh, finance through through greeniums. And I think that 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 sort of using the right ter terminology for the SLB product is really, really important. Fully agree with that. Uh, we are on the same page. Let's say that the greenium word, it's probably the most recognized within financial community. So we use that one also for the SLBs, but I'm completely with you. There is a, it's the value of sustainable choice that needed to be taken into account and recognized by the, the financial community. Completely with you on that. Jumping on what Nate was saying regarding the underlying investment, the action plan that the, the issuer is, is making to achieve its trajectory, actually. One concern I'm thinking about the potential asymmetry of information between the issuer on one end and investors and market participants on the other end. Even more sometimes omission of information from the issuer. Do you see here a risk uh, in terms of greenwashing uh, Coming back to a fundamental principle of sustainable finance, which is transparency. So do you see any risk angle here? What could be the main, uh, I would say, measures or requirements that you could have 
uh, from your different point of view to reduce that risk. I don't know, uh, Ulf, if you want to start on that, on the observed omission of information with regard to ESG risk or ESG information as a whole, compared with the question of potential risk of greenwashing for SLB and transition. Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question, and we've been making a, a number of efforts um, in in this context. For example, we uh, even went to the uh, length of filing a complaint with regulatory authorities on one SLB case where the omission of the exposure of this particular company to one of the most controversial coal projects in the world um, it was just not there in the marketing material, right? Um, and uh, it had it wasn't mentioned at all in a 500 page prospectus and that's obviously is a sort of an omission of information uh, um, error i have to say though that you know just because we're going into sustainable finance we shouldn't expect um that the you know, history old sort of uh, tug of war between investors and issuers should end in some ways. It's always the case that there is an asymmetry of information between the issuers and the investors, and that's going to happen in sustainability uh, space as well. You have to, as a sustainable investor, as any bond investor, go into um, the critical uh, thinking when you're looking at uh, what a company or an issuer is offering you, and we shouldn't. Uh, just say that, okay, uh, there's a symmetric uh, information and that's greenwashing. It, it is uh, really happening there the whole time. I mean, I was literally once upon a time in an investor presentation, it was uh, September 17th in 2015, with uh, a large German automaker. Um, and, you know, everything was very hunky-dory. Um, and they were telling us all the good things about the company. The presentation was even called um, Stability in Volatile Times. Later that afternoon, the news from the Environmental Protection Agency around Dieselgate broke, and I was, was you know, uh, really in an asymmetric information situation in that case. But I had you know, that had sustainability links was in a sustainability linked uh, financing structure. But just remember that you know, even because we're in sustainability, we have to expect that this goes on, and we shouldn't be calling it out as greenwashing every time. It's it's just uh, a, a, the nature of the business. And Nate from SBTI, so I know that you have a lot of disclosure requirements as well in the methodology, so happy to see what type of expectation do you have and your views regarding the different level of information that you are requesting. Sure, thank you, Laurie. Yeah, so um, we include as one of our criteria an annual reporting um, requirement after the SBT is published. And that's sort of, you know, broadly intended to um, provide some tracking and accountability mechanism. And we sort of expected, perhaps naively, when we launched the initiative in 2015, that institutions would arise to take this function on. But it hasn't really happened in the systematic way that uh, we and others were, were hoping for. And so um, we now are adding a monitoring reporting verification function to the SBT initiative, which is um, going to be focusing on KPIs beyond annual emissions inventories. And it's not that we are hunting for greenwashing or um, becoming any sort of name and shame initiative. It's really partially because we have this very unique data set now of 
1,800 companies and financial institutions that have set targets. And the question is, how do they actually achieve their targets? You know, what is the most cost-effective way for them to do this? And what are the sort of menu of options that they can use to, to actually reduce emissions in the real economy? Uh, and so that's part of our intention with this new MRV work. Um, but it's definitely um, an open space, and it's one where there's a lot of a lot of discussion now with GFANS and the Bloomberg Macron data initiative and uh, various um, new developments in this space. So I think it's an exciting area. Just finally, I'd say that you know there's a lot of non-emissions metrics um, that we find to be very important and meaningful. And so back to Felipe's point on the SLB that that he was mentioning from this week, um, you know, our theory in the science-based targets initiative is that the um, the most effective role for financial institutions is actually engagement of their clients and investees to get them to take action. And that's SPTI is one turnkey solution. We know we're not the the only thing out there, um, but you know that's really where financial institutions can have a very meaningful impact on climate stabilization. And so um, that's, you know, um, part of our thinking here with with um, with this tracking and um, and the MRV going forward. Thanks, Nate. So Felipe, as an investor, how do you see that risk of asymmetry of information? How, how do you challenge the credibility, I would say, of the targets to consider that it's ambitious enough or is it a quick win, I would say, for the issue? How, how do you see that yeah, question? What I can say is that, uh, you know, the, the initiatives uh, like uh, science-based targets, uh, it, that's basically a, a, a necessary condition, you know, to try to solve the asymmetry of information. It's a necessary condition, but not a sufficient one. And, you know, the, the, we don't have that many tools to solve that asymmetry of information. But uh, we believe that, you know, we need to rely on the work that our own analysts or our own PMs are able to do in terms of engagement, in terms of, you know, knowing, knowing the sectors in which, you know, th they are assessing, knowing the companies in which we invest and also being able to benchmark those companies between them. So I think that is not only a matter of accessing the data. But it's also the capacity to assess that data and to uh, express a conviction. And that conviction, of course, you know, you can be wrong, you can be right, but that's something that, you know, using human brains is also a way to solve that uh, asymmetry of information. Maybe I just uh, want to, to, to finalize with, uh, with a very uh, quick uh, comment. And I think that um, for, for this market to, to, to really uh, uh, create uh, impact, I think that uh, it's very important to, to uh, tackle the question of targets and uh, SPTs and so on. But please do not forget that this tool can be also be used. Uh, you know, we haven't yet used all the potential of this tool. I think that we could actually use this tool to be linked to assets. We could actually combine this concept with use of proceeds bonds. We could potentially think of, you know, more financial engineering in terms, you know, to really bring the right financial uh, 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 financial incentives for uh, you know issuers and companies to deliver on sustainability. So I think we are in, at the beginning of this market, and I think that we haven't yet released all the potential of this instrument. Thank you, Felipe. Elf, I think you would like to add something on the question of asymmetry. 
Yes, um, something that comes out of our pricing work um, is that you know understanding uh, the data and the information actually drives the probabilities of the step up or the step down to to happen is extremely important. And we, we've gone to the length and almost calling it SLBs either step up non-priceable or step up priceable. So those where you have the data and where you can actually start to infer some probability that the step up is going to happen are you know more valuable in the sense that you have less model uncertainty and that actually then what comes out is that the issuer has an incentive to provide enough data so it becomes you know an easier decision to make for the investor everything else equal the investor will pay more for an slb i.e they will you know provide lower cost of capital if they have a good data set if they have you know less model uncertainty and Thus, you know, having this asymmetry um, and disproving that there's asymmetry of information might be uh, in the interest of the issuer, actually, because that will or should be appreciated by the investor. Thank you, Elf, and thank you to all of you. I think we can stop there and thank you for your, your views on the potential how to preserve market integrity when it comes to SLB and transition. And we've seen that there is still a lot to do. This is still a nascent uh, market. And as mentioned by Felipe, there is probably some, some new products to continue to imagine on that space and to accumulate different angles with the asset uh, views, uh, potentially. So happy to continue to see what the market is going to launch. Thank you to all of you. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.